Today, session number 14 from the book of Acts. Session number 14. Well, you think about this early church movement. I look around the room today and I have a question. So far, we're only in session 14. We're in Acts chapter 9. Well, you think about this early church movement. Well, you think about this church thing. You see, the church is what we're reading about. And I've said in every session so far that I have a concern that the modern American church doesn't look a whole lot like this church in Acts. Would you join this church? I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about the one in the book of Acts. Would you join that one? Are you sure? And every time I ask that question, there's another question. Do you think there's another one? If you, if you don't want that one, do you think there's another one? You see, the Holy Spirit has come. One thing is clear. In Acts, the Holy Spirit has come and crazy things are happening. The world's being turned upside down. People are being healed of sicknesses. Demons are screaming. Demons, did you hear it? Demons are screaming as they're leaving this human flesh because the Holy Spirit's come. And when the light comes, the darkness flees. And demons are screaming. Sicknesses are being healed. But more importantly, people are being saved from death and hell. Somebody say amen. The book of Acts is about what happens when God rescues people from death and hell. Ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. And Stephen and Philip are just two examples. Who's doing this? Is it Peter? John? Philip? Stephen? Who's doing it? The same one that was doing it then, listen church, the same one that was doing it then in Acts is the same one that's doing it now. And he's not tired, and he hasn't gotten old, and he isn't finished. He's the same God. The same one that was trying to stop the church then is still trying to stop the church now. That's where chapter 9 picks up. Satan is trying to use a Jewish man to stop the church. But God is going to turn Satan's evil plan upside down. But Satan's real. He's real today. He's real then. He's not a cartoon character. Someone you laugh at. He's real and he's powerful. But he is not all powerful. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, notice the name. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, I haven't done this in a few weeks, so I probably will do this. Every scripture I plan to use is on the back of the bulletin. I want you to know every scripture I use today. Also, the words in yellow on the back of the bulletin are blanks that you can fill in and help you maybe keep up. There's a purpose. I want you to know the scriptures. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Here's a guy who's looking forward to killing Jesus' people. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. 
asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Don't, now, here's the foundation today. He's eager to kill Christians. And, and they're labeled in Acts chapter 9, they get a label. They get a label. Followers of the way. He's eager to kill the followers of the way that he finds in Damascus. That's where he's going. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem, what? In chains. The last time we heard of this man, Saul, in the book of Acts, he was holding the coats of the rock throwers who were stoning Stephen. He's back in chapter 9, and he's filled with religious fury against the church of Jesus Christ. I wonder if religion without Jesus is one of the most dangerous things on earth. Did you hear me? I wonder. When I read this, I tell you what, I come to the conclusion. Religion without Jesus is one of the most dangerous things on earth because it's zealous. It's powerful. Here, here's Saul. Is he, it says he's eager to kill the Lord's followers. He's hunting down the followers of the way to drag men and women back to Jerusalem in prison, kill some of them, why? Because it's a religion, but no Jesus. Murderous threats. Plots of murdering Christians. Saul is a man of action. You're going to find that out about this man. He's a man of action. He goes to the high priest, and he wants them to sanction this event. I'll go get them if you'll sanction me. Followers of the way. Some translations say those who belong to the way. That's an interesting title. It's the title today, The Way. One must assume when you, when you hear this label that's been placed on these followers that are now being hunted down, one must assume that this title came from Jesus, his teaching in the Gospel of John. Let me read it to you, John 14, 6. Most of you have it memorized. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus told his followers, Jesus said, I am the way. And guess what? His followers believed him. He said, I am the truth. And guess what? His followers believed him. I am the life. And his followers believed him. They became followers, listen, don't miss this, they became followers of the way. It's not a random title. He says he is the way, and if you follow Jesus who says he is the way, you are a follower of the way. Unbelievers don't follow him because they don't believe him. Unbelievers, let's, let's be simple. Unbelievers don't follow him because they don't believe him. They don't believe he's the way. He's going the right way. Unbelievers think they're going the right way. That's why they don't follow him. Because his way is different. Saul wasn't a believer. In fact, Saul believed they were all going the wrong way. Religion without Jesus. Saul wasn't a believer. Not yet. He believes they're all going the wrong way. In fact, he thinks it's his job under God to stop them because they're all going the wrong way even if he has to kill them he has to stop them religion without Jesus is a dangerous thing 
Think of the destruction of Islam. Religion without Jesus is a dangerous thing. Think about the emptiness of Buddhism. I remember when I was working uh, uh, at a Japanese company years ago, I, I had long conversations with, with Japanese guys who were Buddhist. And quite frankly, uh, there, I'm sure there's exceptions, but what I found of Buddhism is nothingism. It's just nothingism. It just means nothing. It's like you got a title, but it doesn't mean anything. Nothing. Think about the brutality of Hinduism. Think about the brutality of And you might say, why is it brutal? Because Hinduism has this caste system. And they believe, for example, that if a child is born with some severe defect or some abnormality, that it's a curse from God. And for you to help that child will bring the curse of God against you. So they just throw the kids out on the sidewalk and abandon them. Can you imagine this religion's without Jesus? Is there anything more dangerous? Saul looked at Christians as if they were infidels. That's what he did. He's looking at Christians as if they were infidels. You bunch of foolish people, you're going the wrong way. And he believes it's his mission, under his religion, to stop them. The way. Notice the word, way. It's a reference to a road. We have a highway a parkway, a roadway. It's a road. A road that goes somewhere. A road of Jesus that leads somewhere. And listen, every way goes somewhere. There is no way that just stops. It goes somewhere. There's a destination. Let's be honest today. I believe Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and anyone who isn't a follower of Jesus is going the wrong way. Does that make me a hater? No. I don't, think it, I don't hate Muslims. I don't hate Buddhists. I don't hate unbelievers. I don't hate Hindus. I just like, I believe they're going the wrong way. I believe they're going the wrong way. I'm sure those same people look at me, the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the unbelievers, and they think I'm going the wrong way. Some, not all, believe they should kill me because I'm not going the same way they are. I feel no inclination to harm anybody who I believe is going the wrong way. But I do have an inclination to at least say, in love, I think you're going the wrong way. Many Muslims believe they must kill people who refuse to travel the way they travel because their God commands it. Saul, the reason I bring that up is this. I doubt we read Saul in the book of Acts like that context very often. Saul was under the same deception. He's under this deception. He is attacking Christians in his attempt to do what? To honor God. He's attacking Christians in an attempt to honor God. Islam, ISIS, attacks Christians in an attempt to honor God. It is a deception. But it is powerful. This is where the story gets interesting today. But what if, what if there's only one God? What if there's only one God? 
What if there's only one way? What if there's only one truth? And what if there's only one life? What if I am going the wrong way? Please don't kill me. Tell me the truth about the right way. What if there's only one God and there's only one way and one truth and one life? And what if just so happens I'm going the wrong way? Don't kill me. Tell me. Tell me the right way. Tell me the truth. That's what's about to happen in this story. That's what, I've done all of that to get to this. That's what's about to happen in this story of a man named Saul. And it will happen on the way to Damascus. You see, he doesn't think he's going the wrong way. He thinks he's going the right way. And somebody needs to tell him the truth. Acts 9, verse 3. As he, Saul, was approaching Damascus on this mission. What mission? What mission? Don't read over it. He's Christian hunting. On this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied. Here it comes. Three words. At least translated to English, three words. I am Jesus. Now, do you think that's a defining moment? <laughs> what? Did I get that right? I am Jesus. The one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Let me translate that verse. Jesus from heaven says, Saul, you're going the wrong way. Can you imagine that moment when you realize your passion to serve God is actually serving the one that is not God? Can you imagine the defining moment of thinking that my entire life suddenly, my entire life suddenly is upside down? My entire life suddenly is meaningless. I had that moment in my own life in 1988. And I can tell you something, it is not a pleasant experience. I wasn't putting Christians in jail, in case you're wondering. You were putting Christians in jail? No, I wasn't. But I was going the wrong way. Let me tell you how I label that way. In 1988, I came to a conclusion that I was going the wrong way because I was going the way of self. Most people who are going the way of self don't know they're going the way of self. I didn't know. If you'd have came to me the day before that encounter with Christ and said, are you going the way of self? My answer would have been, no, I'm going the right way. But something happened in August of 1988. My eyes were opened and I could see that my way was the way of self. It was my way. I wasn't following the way of the master, even though I believed I was following God. I was not following the way of the master. I was following the way of Terry. It was my plan. It was my dreams, my aspirations, my goals, my thing, my life. Everything's about what is I'm going to do. And then something happened. I looked down and someone shined a light and I found out I was going the wrong way. It's not pleasant. I wasn't actively persecuting Jesus. 
I wasn't actively persecuting Jesus' followers, but a simple truth remains. I was going the wrong way. And anyone who was traveling with me was also going the wrong way by default. It's a defining moment. That moment when you encounter Jesus on the way. Because something happens. Listen, this is as simple as I can put it. Something happens when you encounter this Jesus. Saul has encountered him on the road to Damascus. I encountered him in a special way in 1988. And his words are, follow me. And the only way you can follow him is you've got to turn around. Because when you encounter him, you have encountered him by grace and mercy as he reveals to you that you're on the wrong way. Then follow me means I've got to change course. I'm not going my way anymore. I'm going his way. You cannot follow him with your back to him. It doesn't work like that. It's a defining moment when your eyes are opened and you see the way. It's a defining moment when you stand up and become a follower. A follower of the way. Not someone who knows about the way. No, 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 no. They didn't get the title they know of the way. The knowers of the way. No, they're the followers of the way. They're following this Jesus who is the way. And every road goes somewhere. Jesus said to Saul on the road, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. But what about the guys with him? Saul has an entourage. What about those guys? They're going the wrong way because they're with Saul, right? If they're hooked to Saul and Saul's going the wrong way, then they're going the wrong way. Next verse, verse 7. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. I, I, I'm just thinking when I read that, I bet that was a quiet trip from there forward. They led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Speechless. What just happened here? What just happened? Blinded by the light and silenced by the voice of Jesus. No food, no drink for three days. Saul has just encountered the way while going the wrong way. Everybody listen, something happened. And this is not abnormal. When you see who Jesus is and how he does his work, Saul encountered the way while he was going the wrong way. Will he change course? So here's the big question today. This is the big question in, in all of humanity. He has now encountered the way. And what did the way tell him? The way's a person. And the person said, follow me. But when he said, follow me, I just noticed I'm going the wrong way. The question for Saul, the question for everyone in the room today, is will I change course? Now that I know I'm going the wrong way, will I change course? Now that I know I'm going the wrong way, and I have been introduced to the way, will I turn around and follow him in a totally new way? Really? You don't want to do that, or do you? 
Do you want to change course? You don't want to do that on the last day. Let me, let me tell you, I've read the book. I know that eventually everybody is going to meet the way. But there's a time when it's too late to change course. But this is not Saul's last day, is it? No. It's his first day on the new way. First day on the new way. Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, listen, when I read this, I'm immediately thinking, Ananias is probably thinking, ooh, God's talking to me. This is pretty incredible. Until he gets to that part, a man from Tarsus named Saul. Uh-oh. I've heard of him. He's here. He's praying right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. Ananias, the second character in today's story, is also a follower of the way. But I doubt he was expecting this assignment along the way. Go across town and make a visit to that Christian murdering Saul. He's praying to me right now. Saul is talking to Jesus while Jesus is talking to Ananias. Did anybody get that? Because I did. You mean he got, he's got multiple channels? He can do all that at the same time? Saul is talking to Jesus while Jesus is talking to Ananias. And Jesus has given Saul a vision, a specific vision about you, Ananias, coming and giving him his sight back. Now I want you to put yourself in Ananias' position right now and imagine what you would say. Remember, you're a follower of the way, and the way has just told you to do something. Now imagine the last time the Holy Spirit told you to do something. Did you? I picture Ananias, because I'm going to read the rest of it in a moment. Ananias has just encountered the way. But Ananias is a follower of the way, right? So if you're a follower of the way, and you've encountered the way, and the way has clearly told you what to do, surely you're going to do it, right? Church people, surely you're going to do what the way says to do, right? Because you're followers of the way, right? Ananias, I want you to go across town to that Christian murdering Saul. He's talking to me right now while I'm talking to you. And I've given him a vision. And in the vision, you're going to show up and give him his sight back. So go on. Ananias. So pause in the story in a moment for a moment. And let me ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit ever revealed anything to you that you're supposed to be doing? Or are you waiting for God to give you a voice and a blinding light on your road to Damascus? Verse 13. But Lord, <laughs> how many times have we used that to open our prayer? But Lord, but, but Lord, I'm a follower of the way, but Lord exclaimed Ananias. 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. There are many reasons not to follow Jesus when he tells you to do something. I'm not going to pretend like that's not true. Listen, there are always many reasons not to follow Jesus when he calls you. Saul's a terrible man, but Lord, Saul's a terrible man and he does terrible things. Surely you don't want him, Lord. You must be confused, Jesus. Saul's been given authority from the priest to arrest all the believers. Surely you don't want him, Jesus. He's going the wrong way. Lord, didn't you notice? He's going the wrong way. Surely you don't want him, Jesus. Can I stop here and say something amazing? I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a lot better. Can I say something? Jesus said, yes, I do want him. Yes, he is going the wrong way. And yes, I do want him. I especially want him because he's going the wrong way. Somebody say hallelujah. Because that's where you'll meet him too. That's why Jesus approached Saul on the way. Jesus wants him. Jesus does not need Saul. If you read this the book of Acts, and you think, well, God really needs him. God doesn't need anybody. He is self-sufficient. He does not need Saul, but he wants him. How powerful is this? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me, but he wants us. Saul, listen, here's what's amazing. Saul did not approach Jesus on the road to Damascus, did he? In fact, Saul is going to persecute Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus approached Saul. Saul didn't call Jesus. Jesus called Saul. It's called grace. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. These words of Jesus. Jesus makes something clear. I need to refresh in all of your minds today, in mine too. He says this, you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you, and I appointed you to do something. Everybody in the room, listen carefully. You are appointed to do something. He appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Why? Why? so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. There's a power attached to your mission. There's a power attached to your calling. There's a power. It's unstoppable. It's called the Holy Spirit. And you get it when you become a follower of the way. And you will produce fruit. Jesus chose Saul. And now Jesus has chosen Ananias. That's how this works. Jesus chose to tell Saul that he's going the wrong way. Jesus, li listen carefully, chose. Jesus decided. Ananias didn't decide it. Saul didn't decide it. Jesus chose to come to a man 
and say you're going the wrong way. And now Jesus is going to keep Ananias from going the wrong way. What? Running out the back door when he hears about the Saul assignment. Jesus chose me. Jesus chose you. He revealed to you the truth. What truth? You're going the wrong way. I suspect there are people in this room right now that are going the wrong way still. You're here today because Jesus has also chosen you. I believe you're in this room today not by coincidence. Some of you are still going the wrong way right now. You're still, today, you're still going the wrong way. And I believe you're in this room right now because Jesus has chosen you to be here today so that you can hear you're going the wrong way. But that might offend you. He didn't do it to offend you. He did it to save you. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to eternal life, the resurrection of the dead. And you're going to want that one day. So how does he do it today? If that's how he did it to Saul, if that's what he's doing to Ananias, if he's working this plan out, let's be practical. How does he do it today? Not by blinding light on the highway. Even though if you're going the wrong way on the highway, you'll probably see some blinding lights. How does he do it today? He does it today in the same way. He's going to do it through Saul. How does he do it today? How does he do it today? How, what does this reveal about how God does his work in the modern church compared to the book of Acts? I'm going to propose to you that he's doing it the same way today that he was doing it in Ananias and Saul's story. By preaching the gospel. By preaching the gospel. By preaching the gospel, people will encounter the way. In fact, let me read to you the future writings of this Saul who will become the Apostle Paul. And he writes to a church called Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1.21. Paul writes this under the power of the Holy Spirit. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him. Why? Because they're going the wrong way. God saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. So he used our, has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks or the Gentiles who seek human wisdom. Foolish preaching of foolish preachers. Foolish preachers who have been called by God. That's how he did it then. That's how he does it now. Preachers who will preach on the way about the way the natural heart of man will always listen this is the debate in modern humanity is man basically good or is man basically evil left untouched will man basically walk toward god or will he walk away from god our humanness wants to say we'll walk toward god the word of god says it's a lie you will walk away from him with your back to him The natural heart of man will always go the wrong way. Human wisdom will never find the way. Human wisdom will never find the way. That preaching was foolish to the Jews. What Paul wrote the church at Corinth, that the preaching 
of the gospel is foolish to the Jews. That's why the Jewish priests sent Saul to Damascus. That preaching was foolish to the Gentiles because their wisdom, their intellect couldn't grasp the way. It's the same thing today. He, he, he died recently, one of the, the, the heroes of the intellectual movement, the modern-day Einstein, Stephen Hawking. He says that life had its origin in one of two possible ways. He, he, he understood that evolution, as taught by Darwin, as taught by, by um, universities around the world, is untenable, unexplainable, unimaginable. It cannot be true. It doesn't work. So what does he say then? Surely now his heart will turn to God. There must be a designer. There must be a creator. There must be one way, one truth, one life. No. You know what he says? Because he has debunked the idea of evolution, he says there's only two possibilities. One is life traveled to earth on ice crystals from other galaxies, other universes, or aliens brought it here personally. Why? Well, man's natural wisdom, intellect, walk toward God. No, you'll walk away from God. So what do we do? Those who have been called to the way. What do we do? Knowing that the Jews will see it as foolishness and the Gentiles will what? They'll say, our intellect says it's not possible. So what do we do? We preach anyway. We preach anyway. We hold it up anyway. We do it anyway. Next verse. Or excuse me, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 1, 23. So we preach. What do we do? We preach that Christ was crucified. The Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. So what, are, what am I going to do? When the Jews say, you offend me, and the Gentiles say, intellectually, you're a midget, what do I do? I preach anyway. I preach anyway. But to those who are called. But to those who are called. He's doing it right now. To those who are called. Next verse, verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Saul was called... Ananias was called, you were called, and he's still calling, at least for now. How much longer is he going to call? I don't know. He's calling right now. But here comes my big point today. Those who truly receive the call, here's the big point today. Those who truly receive the call, while you're on the road going the wrong way, those who truly receive the call will follow him they'll change course. They will obey Him. They will obey the call. Some will hear the call, but they'll not receive the call. They'll hang up. This is not the way of Christ. Church, this is an epidemic in the church. Church, I speak to you of a modern day church epidemic. Those who hear the call, but refuse to obey the call. Are you a follower of the way when you don't follow the way? 
Are you a follower of the way when you refuse to follow the way? John 14, 23. You read it earlier. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. But what if it's dangerous? All who love me will do what I say. What if it's expensive? All who love me will do what I say. What if it's, uh, what if it's opposition? What if they make fun of me? What if it costs me everything, Lord? You want me to go see Saul? He's a murderer. You don't want him. Those who are called will obey me. Those who are called, those who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we're going to do something. My Father, Jesus and the Father, will come and make our home with each of them. You know what the Holy Spirit is? There it is. My Father and I will come and make our home inside of you. And anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Can any of you imagine Ananias telling Jesus in that scene? Jesus has just told Ananias, I want you to go across town and I want you, I want you to lay your hands on Saul and pray over him. His sight's going to come back and I'm going to use him in a powerful way. Anybody in this room imagine Ananias looking at Jesus at that point and say, I love you, but I ain't going. I love you, Jesus, but I ain't going. I love you, Jesus, but I got things to do today. I love you, Jesus, but I got my life. You know what? You're, this is not on my schedule. Jesus wasn't asking Ananias to come up with some big, giant plan to convert Saul to the way. Boy, I'm glad about that. Listen. He didn't say to Ananias, I want you to go and convince that heathen that I'm real. He didn't say that, did he? No, Jesus was asking Ananias to follow me by faith. Just do what I say. Jesus already had a plan, and he was inviting Saul and Ananias to come up to, to just join him. Saul, you don't have to make a plan. Ananias, you don't have to make a plan. Church people, you don't have to make a plan. You just got to follow me. He's got the plan. He is the plan. His power, if you love me, you'll obey me. And the Father and I will move into you. That is the plan. That's it. Then you'll know what to do and you'll know when to do it. Because it won't be your plan. You left your plan on the way when you followed him. Acts 9.15 But the Lord said, go, go, Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to who? To the Gentiles. Somebody say hallelujah. That was pitiful. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Had he not done this, where would you be? He is my chosen instrument to take this message to the Gentile world. That's us. And to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. Go. The call of Jesus was what? Go. Chosen instrument. Go. Chosen to take this foolish message across the planet. Go. What message? Christ crucified. But some will be offended. Preach it anyway. Some will think it's nonsense. Preach it anyway. 
go. The Jews are going to think it's stupid. They'll ask for a sign. Go. The Gentiles are going to mock us as intellectual midgets. Go. Go and take the message about the way to the whole world, to the rich, to the poor, to everyone. Does that sound familiar to you? One of the last scenes in Jesus' life before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Matthew 28. And before I read it, I'm going to ask you church people something. Are you still waiting for a word from him? Are you still waiting for a word from him? Some people come to me and they say, well, you know what? If he did to me what he did to Ananias, I'd go. Are you still waiting for a word from him? Because I'm going to tell you there's already been a word from him. Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to you? I think he's talking to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And I'll be sure that I'm sure of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. But what if they refuse to listen? What if I go and they don't listen? Go anyway. What if they hate us? Go anyway. What if they put us in jail? Go anyway. Listen to what Jesus told Ananias about Saul's calling. Verse 16. Most people would like to leave this one out, but you can't leave this one out. And I will show him, Saul. Jesus to Ananias. I will show Saul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Would you join this church? This is the church. I don't know what fabrication the church idea you've got in your mind. Would you join this church? I will show you how much you will suffer for my name. Would you join this way? You would if you knew what was at the end of the way. You would. If you know what's at the end of this road. See, this road goes somewhere. And if you know what's at the end of this road, you'd join this way. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Everybody would. Everybody would. Because that Satan's a liar. Would you join this church? Would you join this way? Is there another one? Is there one without suffering? Come on. Jesus, is there one without suffering? Is there one without hardship? Is there one without a heavy cross? Is there one that I don't have to deny myself? Is there one that I don't have to change course, change direction? Can't I have heaven my way? No. Sorry. Not there. Peter received the call of Christ. Let's switch from Paul to Peter. Peter received the call of Christ to join the way, and yes, Peter suffered too. And I want to read to you what these men counted counted the cost because see these men knew what was at the end of the way they knew it'd been revealed to them it's been revealed to you read the book of revelation i can tell you what's at the end of the road peter first peter 4 12 dear friends don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange is happening to you 
Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings, so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian. It's hard. Listen, I, I know. It's hard to be happy when I'm insulted because I'm a follower of the way. It's hard. But he says something, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Remember, we're talking about the way. This road leads to glory. Do you know what's at the end of that road? We are heirs. We're going to share in the glory of God. If we share in His sufferings, we're going to share in His glory. I don't, I don't know what you think you've got to give up to be a follower of the way. I don't know what you think you've got to cast off to be a follower of the way. I don't, know, I don't know what you're struggling with to change course, but I'm going to tell you, all of it will mean nothing if you stand before Him and you're not a follower of the way. Romans 8, 17. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. So how did the story of Jesus, Ananias, and Saul turn out in Acts chapter 9? Did Ananias go? Did he run out the back door, afraid, fearful for his life? Verse 17, so Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him. I wonder when he laid his hands on him, were they doing this? Oh, boy. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. And after it, Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Here we go. I'm going to ask you a question, everybody. What would Ananias have missed had he not gone? What would he have missed? What would Ananias' life been like if he'd have said, no, I'm too afraid. No, I counted the cost and it's too expensive. No, I don't believe you'll go with me, Lord. I ain't going. What would he have missed? Would Jesus have just picked someone else to go? Would the church just stop right there? No Gentiles in heaven. What will you miss if you don't go? Will Jesus just get somebody else? This is my favorite part in the story today. Jesus wasn't asking Saul to come up with a plan to redeem the lost world of Gentiles. Everybody listen. I've read the whole thing multiple times. Jesus was not asking Saul to come up with a plan to redeem the Gentile world. Nope. Jesus wasn't asking Ananias to come and talk Saul into becoming a Christian. Nope. Jesus isn't asking any of us in this room. Jesus isn't asking any of us to come and submit our plan to make disciples and preach the gospel in this world. Nope. Jesus is asking us to come. Listen, he's asking us to come and give up our way and receive his way. That's what he's asking us to do.
He's asking us to come and give up our way and become followers of His way, which is the only way. Do you know what, why this is my favorite part? Because it takes the pressure off of me. And yeah, I do feel the pressure. It takes the pressure off me. See, I don't have to come up with a plan to redeem the lost people. He's already got the plan. I just have to believe it and speak it in His name. It's his plan. I don't have a plan. I left my plan on that road where I was traveling the wrong direction years ago. It's his plan. Takes the pressure off. I am a foolish, called by Jesus preacher. Somebody say amen. Y'all weren't supposed to do that on that one. I am a foolish, called by Jesus preacher. And I gave up my way when he called me to be a follower of the way. I preach Christ crucified as the only way. And some people receive it and some people don't. I sow these seeds of the way, not knowing which ones will come up and not knowing which ones will die. But I'm going to keep sowing seeds because Jesus said this in John 14, 23, all who love me will do what I say. I'm not guessing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I'm not guessing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I had an encounter with Jesus in August of 1988. He called me to the way. I answered that call by faith, and four years later, in 1992, I preached my first sermon. I did not know when he called me what he was going to call me to do. I did not know. I had no clue. I didn't know where he was taking me in 1988, but I sure didn't think it would be a preacher at Nineveh Christian Church. In fact, when I was a kid growing up, my daddy told me there was two places in Anderson County not to go, Tyrone and Nineveh. In May of 2000, he called me to preach at this church. I thought it would be one Sunday. My plan was to preach one Sunday here. That's been 18 years ago. Two years after that, in April of 2002, I resigned my corporate level job and took the greatest risk of my lifetime. I don't know what it looked like to you, but it looked like Ananias going to see Saul to me. It looked like a bad idea. I stand here today and I wonder what I would have missed. What I would have missed if I had not received the calling of Christ on my Damascus road. This is the great adventure. I'm telling you, church, this is the great adventure. Because I was going the wrong way and I didn't know I was going the wrong way until I met the way. And he said, turn around and follow me and I'll show you the way. What about you? Is today that day for you? I'm asking. I have prayed all week. Is today that day for you? My 1988 encounter with Jesus happened in a church as a foolish preacher was talking. His name was Bob Molden. 
I can't remember what that preacher said, but I'll never forget what the Holy Spirit said. Either you believe it all, Terry, or you believe none of it, and tonight you're going to decide. That night I decided I believed it all. That night I told him that I would change course. That with his power, his spirit, I would leave my way and take his. Would you join this church? This is the church. The book of Acts is the church. Would you join that church? Is there another one? Would you join this way? Would you? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. You see, I've come to this simple conclusion. Every way, a way is a road, and a road, every road goes somewhere. You would join this way, this church of Jesus Christ, running, if you knew what was at the end of the road. Either road, either road, either the road of your own way, which ends in hell, or the road of his way, which leads in, ends in glory. Either way, either way, when you imagine in your mind what's at the end of these two roads, what's at the end of these two roads, you would run to him. You wouldn't walk, you'd run. Because he's here to save you from death in the grave and hell. But you've got to give up your way to be a follower of the way. And that's why it's hard. That's why it's hard. I get it. It's hard. Because it's like giving up control. That's how it works. You yield control of your life to Him. So today, we're going to sing an invitation. I'm going to pray. Father, Holy Spirit, would you do exactly what you do? Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to believe, receive, and obey you. I pray your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.